You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Father God, this morning we come before you, Lord, admitting that everything that we have just sung is absolutely true of you. Lord, you are holy. You are high and lifted up. You are glorious. You are pure. You are perfect. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our adoration. And so, Lord, we come this morning gathered in the name of Jesus Christ, not together in person, together in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would move in our lives this morning, Lord, that you would show your glory, your greatness in the face of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would show us the beauty of the Godhead, the triune Godhead this morning, Lord, that you would help us to look to you. And as we look to you, that you would change us into the image of Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray as we open your word now, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take the word and apply it to our hearts this morning, Lord. We need you to do that. Lord, we admit that so often on our own, Lord, we are blinded uh, by our own sin, by the the weight of the trials that we face in this world, uh, by the struggles that we encounter every single day. And so, Lord, we need you to open up the eyes of our heart this morning. Lord, we need you to shine your light into each of our lives, Lord, to show us what you have for us, Lord, and to exalt Christ. So, Lord, would you do that work now as we open your word together? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ for his glory and for his honor and for his kingdom. Amen. 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 Well, I would invite you this morning um, to grab your Bible and open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If if you don't have your Bible with you right now, you know, if you're just sitting on the couch with coffee in hand but no Bible, now's a great time to push pause and go get it. So get your Bible, get it open, because what we're going to see this morning is going to come right from the Scriptures. I don't want any of you to think that I'm kind of, you know, just making this up, kind of just filling it in. I want you to see it in the Word of God, because it's the Word of God that changes lives. So grab your Bible. Get it open to Ephesians chapter 4. While you're turning to Ephesians chapter 4, I want to ask you what's going to seem like a really odd question, and it is kind of an odd question, Um, but trust me, it's going somewhere. Um, I want you to think about when was the last time that you did a real thorough inspection of your foundation? So when was the last time that you did a thorough inspection of your foundation when was the last time that you actually went out and you know, looked around your house at the concrete that is there and said, hey, I just want to make sure that everything is in good order, that things aren't falling apart? When was the last time that you did that? Because you know, things change. Cracks develop. Problems arise. You never know. You might have even been sleeping one night, and there might have been an army of little miniature men with tiny jackhammers that have come and just been chipping away at the foundation of your house, and you haven't noticed. Highly unlikely, but you never know. Well, actually, I'm not talking this morning when I ask about your foundation about uh, the concrete blocks or the concrete walls in your basement. I'm not asking really when was the last time that you actually went out and walked around your house and looked at the walls that are there, but I'm talking about the foundation of truth in your own life. Listen, when was the last time that you actually surveyed the foundation of truth 
in your own life? When was the last time that you actually took a close inspection to see what's going on, um, that you've taken a close inspection of your thoughts, of what you're taking in, and looked at it and said, wait, is this in keeping with the truth? Our message this morning out of Ephesians chapter 4 um, is, is, is called The Uncomfortable Responsibilities of Truth. The Uncomfortable Responsibilities of Truth. And we live in a culture today uh, where the truth is consistently maligned and disregarded. We live in a culture today that is seeking ultimately to destroy the foundations of truth that this very nation culture was even based on. And Psalm 11 verse 3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So I want to encourage you this morning, take a look at your own life. How's your foundation doing? How is your foundation of truth holding up in these days that we live in? And today we live in a culture that is ultimately bankrupt in the currency of truth. We live in a postmodern secular culture that is uh, seeking to abolish truth by forcing you and me to give in to the cultural absurdity around us. And you think, wait a minute, I think you're stating it a little bit you know, too firmly right now. I think you're kind of putting it on a little bit thick. Well, you might be surprised to know that there are many elites in cultural circles today that are actually debating how many right answers there are to a math problem. Just think about that for a minute. How many right answers are there to a math problem? Two plus two. Great, good work. Four, it's four, right? Uh, there are cultural elite, elites that are debating today whether there is actually a difference between a man and a woman. This is the culture of absurdity that we live in today, and this absurdity is seeking to press against the foundation of truth. It is seeking to infiltrate your foundation of truth with an army of little men with jackhammers seeking to destroy the very truths that we base our lives on. And it's into this kind of truth-sucking cultural vacuum that the Apostle Paul writes this passage. The, the times at Ephesus, the times in the Roman Empire when the Apostle Paul lived, a truth was primarily regarded as being relative pragmatic, very, very similar to how it's regarded today. And the Apostle Paul writes these words in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you're with me, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 25 through 32. He says this, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing an honest day's work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Amen. Pray that the Lord would bless the reading of His Word and as we open it today. And first things first, brothers and sisters, I want to just bring this point to mind. 
Whether you believe it or not, whether you experience it or not, or feel that you experience it or not, we are in a war for truth today. We're in a war for truth today. It doesn't take much of a social scientist or a cultural expert to look out at our society today and say, wait, something is going off. Something is wrong here. We're in a war for truth today. And let's be sure of this. As believers in Jesus Christ, the Lord has called us to an exceptionally high standard of truth. It is his standard of truth, and every form of falsehood is ultimately inconsistent with biblical Christianity. Now, here's the first thing that we need to see from this text this morning. The first thing that we need to see is this. As Christians, we must completely reject all forms of falsehood by tenaciously clinging to the truth. So as Christians, we need to reject every single form of falsehood in the world, in our own lives, false interpretations even of the Word of God. We need to reject these things by tenaciously, with everything that we've got, clinging to the truth. Listen, at the beginning of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul urged us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of Christ. That was what he was urging us towards. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. And now here in verse 25, he reminds us that when we came to Jesus Christ, we put away falsehood. Take a look back at the beginning of verse 25. Having put away falsehood, he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, meaning that when we came to Christ, there was a choice that was made to leave error, to leave falsehood, to leave lies in the past. On that day that you came to Jesus Christ, you chose for the first time to tenaciously cling to the truth of God and his word. And listen, now here, uh, or sorry, just before this, in verses 17 and 18, we see that there is a former way of ignorance and futility. That is the way that we walked before we came to Christ. We walked in the futility and the ignorance of, of those that are lost. We walked in darkness. But when you came to Christ, you chose to put that behind you. You chose to, to lean on the truth. You chose to have the foundation of sand that was under your life the foundation of the lies of this world removed and a new solid foundation of Jesus Christ, of the word of God, of the truth of God built into your life. And so I want to call you this morning to take a close look at your foundation. Take a close look at what you've been relying on. Take a close look at what you've been trusting in this morning. First of all, truth. Truth must be simply known to be believed. You can't believe the truth if you don't know the truth. Truth must be known to be believed. So this is a great call for us to open God's word, to have it in our hands, to be reading it, to be saturated with it, because we cannot know the truth of God if we aren't reading it, and we cannot believe it if we don't know it, and it must be believed to be lived, brothers and sisters. So in order to live the truth of God out in our lives, we must believe it, we must cling to it, and then... And then, if we want to honor the truth, we need to seek to guard it and defend it. Today, much of our Western society simply believes uh, that truth is based on trends. It's based on convenience. It's based on popularity, political correctness. 
One secular commentator put it this way. He, he said, uh, when he was asked the question, what is truth? And he said, you know, truth, truth is really whatever my colleagues let me get away with. That's how many people in the world today would define truth. You know, whatever, whatever people let me get away with, I can make up anything that I want to, and as long as I get away with it, then that is true. It's true enough. That is utterly false. And all of this commentary really shows how far our Western culture has run from the truth of God's Word and from the God of truth. And we may think that all of that is happening out there in the world and that it has little impact on us in the church. And if that's kind of your thought process today, I think it's time for a good foundation check. I think it's time to take a good look at how the lies of the world are infiltrating the church. And even, even think for a moment, Jesus sent his disciples out into the world, didn't he? Jesus, he, he chose his disciples, his apostles, and he sent them out with the Great Commission into the world. And he sent them out so that the gospel would spread, the truth of God would spread through the world. Yet somehow, in our Western culture, the lies of the world have snuck into the church. I believe personally, and this is what I believe, um, one of the most pressing issues facing the church today is ultimately that we have created a pseudo-Christian subculture that is more like, I don't know, an evangelifish than evangelicalism. It's been built on compromise and complacency, on unholy alliances with secular culture, and we've become willing to tolerate relativism, pragmatism, even soft forms of evolution. We've been willing to allow grotesque sexual sin uh, to creep into our homes, through our TVs, through the internet, whatever it may be. We've, we've tolerated these things. We've been willing, even as a culture, to see the image of God defaced in humanity, and we're brazen enough to think that there won't be consequences. At times we buy into outright lies and we think that we're being wise. Over the last several generations, a lot of the church has really raised up a generation of lukewarm, savorless, waffle men and women because we've chosen to sacrifice truth on the altar of postmodernism. If you don't see that today, if you don't Notice that today, if, if you think, nah, that's not the case at all, it's time for a foundation check. It's time to do an inspection. It's time to get out your gear. It's time to take a close look, first of all, at your own life, because honestly, it starts right here. It starts in our own hearts first. Before we point the finger anywhere else, we need to point the finger at ourselves. And today, the call is for us from the Apostle Paul in Scripture to cling tenaciously to the truth. So how do we do that? How do we do that in the church today? How do I do that? How do you do that in your life? Well, here is, is the first thing that we need to keep in mind. First of all, we need to identify the lies and then insert the truth. So we need to identify the lie and then insert the truth. Well, you ask, how do we do that? How, do, how can I learn to identify the lie? Well, the way that you do that is by simply reading with your Bible in one hand and then your news feed in the other. That's how you do it. You read the Word of God and then you look at your news feed. You read the Word of God and then you compare it. That is how we identify the lies. So we identify the lie and then we insert the truth. The other part of that is that we would then be bold enough 
to speak the truth in love to those around us, that we would be willing to do that. But let's just focus in, first of all, on identifying the lie and then inserting the truth. I love how Lindsay in her testimony mentioned a, a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. This is really the call on all of our lives as believers. We are called, according to this passage and several other in Scripture, we are called to take every single thought captive to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says this. Paul writing, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Listen, I want you to think for a moment this morning. As you survey the Christian scene in North America today, is that what you're seeing? Are you seeing Christians who are on the offensive, who are going out with the truth of Jesus Christ, willing to destroy arguments, willing to take every single thought captive to Jesus Christ, willing to lay low every lofty opinion that raises itself against the knowledge of God? I see a little bit of that today, but I don't see a lot of that today. I think a lot, of, a lot more often what we see is we, we see a Christian culture that thinks, if I just keep quiet, somehow I'll fly under the radar and things will work out to be more comfortable for me, easier for me, better for me. Listen, church, if that's where you're at today, you need to repent. If that's where I'm at today, I need to repent. That's nothing but cowardice. The Bible is very, very clear about what happens to those who will not stand for truth and who choose to take the path of cowardice. We cannot give in to cowardice. We cannot walk in that way. We must learn to come to a place where we can destroy, dismantle the secular arguments, dismantle the lies of the world, and lay low every opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Well, at this point, someone might argue and say, well, you know, the, the context on 2 Corinthians 10 verse, verse 5 is, is really in the context of evangelism, so, so maybe, maybe we don't need to do that as much. Well, how about Ephesians 5 verse 11? We're going to see this verse in a few weeks when Pastor Paul preaches it. Ephesians 5 verse 11, listen to what it says. It's even more direct than 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5, and it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of of darkness. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Instead, shine the light of Jesus Christ, of the Word of God, of the gospel on the works of darkness. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We need to learn as individuals, as a church, as a congregation, to identify the lies that we're being confronted with, to identify the lies and insert the truth. The cultural lies that we are facing today are like an invading army of miniature men with tiny jackhammers laying their tools to the foundation that hold up the Christian life. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? But listen, not only do we need to identify the lie and insert the truth, not only do we need to know the truth, but we also, we also are obligated to speak the truth to those that we know. Notice what the verse says. Notice what it says. 
It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Listen, we need to understand the truth. We need to speak the truth because this is what is fitting for the Christian life. I just want you to think about the picture here. We need to understand the beginning of this text in order to understand the rest of it. In a, in a few moments, we're going to dig deep into the practical application of this passage. And there's going to be some strong implications and responsibilities for our lives, but it'll just be kind of random things unless you understand this point right here. This whole text hinges on the first few words. Go right back to the very beginning of verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, because falsehood is now in the rearview mirror for a Christian, because you willingly chose to turn away from falsehood, to turn away from the lies, to reject them, to take them captive, we are now moving forward in a way that is in keeping with the truth of who God is, with the truth of, of his word, with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Having put away falsehood, means that we have put away exaggerations, that we've put away even slight fabrications and misleading talk. How often do we give in to that? Well, I didn't actually lie. I just kind of didn't tell the whole truth, and I steered the conversation in this way so that they believed something different. But that was their fault, not mine. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. I bet you are too. Having put away falsehood, exaggerations, slight fabrications, misleading talk, cheating, foolish promises that you make hastily and then you break them, false excuses, living in a way that does not correspond with the truth. Brothers and sisters, we need to come back to a place where we we have a very basic understanding of truth. And so let's just take a second right now um, just to understand a few basic principles about truth, a basic theology of truth. This is, this is minimalist, I get it, um, but, the, but these few things we need to understand. We need to understand a basic theology of truth. And so first of all, first things first, God has a monopoly on truth. And you say, well, prove that from the Bible. Open to any page. Any page you want, just open the Bible anywhere. Um, do a quick study this afternoon. Okay. While you're checking your foundation, also scan through the entire Bible and see how many times it says, thus says the Lord. If you can count those amount of times, um, wow, <laughs> I don't think you can. Listen, it's on, it's on every page. Thus says the Lord. God has a monopoly on truth. Secondly, truth never changes. Truth never changes. Truth is not relative. Truth is not pragmatic. The application of truth may change. Your circumstances may cause you to actually have to understand various different truths and reason from those various different truths, but the truth does not change. The thing in itself does not change. Truth does not change. Third, God delights in truth, and God delights in a righteous character. God delights when believers walk in line and live in line with the truth. That causes joy and delight in the Lord's heart. Fourth, truth sets us free. Truth sets us free. If you're walking in bondage today, if you're walking in in enslavement towards sin, 
then I'm going to say that there's a truth issue in your life. There's a truth issue in your life, and it's likely simply related to the fact that you believe that you can have your sin, and you can just continue sinning, habitually sinning in the same way over and over again, and you believe that you can also have the grace of God at the same time. Well, if that's your situation today, very simply, you need to repent. You need to repent of that because that is, that's a notion that is, that is just not found in Scripture. It's not there. Repentance is the answer. Continuing in sin, continuing to say, you know, I can just sin as much as I want and grace will abound is completely against the Word of God. Go back and read Romans chapter 6. It's right there. No Christian would really think that way. And so if you find yourself in that place today, today is a day to get low before the Lord to repent. Say, Lord, I've been looking at this all wrong. I've had a major truth issue in my life. I need to repent. I need to turn. Lord, would you give me strength to turn away from this sin and to turn towards you in faith, trusting you? Why is that so important? Because fifth, if we love God, we will love truth. If we love God, we will love truth. If we love God, we won't love lies. Think about it, brothers and sisters. We've put away falsehood. If we have put falsehood behind us, how is it fitting for us to then go on and embrace lies? It's not fitting. It's not in keeping with the truth. That is where the rest of the passage is going to go. Paul is going to unpack this for us as he goes through some very, as he talks about some very specific situations, likely situations that were being struggled with in the church at Ephesus, things that we would struggle with as well, but we need to understand this key principle that if we have turned away falsehood, it is not fitting for us to embrace lies, whether in our mind or whether through our actions. Why? Because what we believe in our mind, what we believe in our heart will come out in our actions. And so if we've embraced the truth, we need to turn away from from behavior that does not honor the truth. Listen, listen, let me just say this. God's work in our lives, God's work in this world, God's work even in His church is always, always, always based on truth. God does not lie. God cannot lie. God God does not work through lies based on lies. God's work in this world, God's work in your life is always based on truth. Error never promotes anything that is good and healthy in the church or in a life. It never does that. And so I want to ask you this morning once more, where have you been tempted to compromise on truth? Where is your foundation growing weak? Maybe, you know, in this season, you've just found yourself in the place where, you know, you fear man more than you fear God. Maybe that's an employer. Maybe that's, you know, someone's opinion. Maybe that's opinions on social media. You're just, you're so fearful of what people might say. The cool kids might think badly of you. Or maybe you're so fearful for yourself. You know, what if I, what if I get sick in this season? Well, I'm not saying that you should be foolish in this time, but the last time that I checked, God's word says that, you know, your days are numbered in his book. He knows. He's sovereign over all things. And if he's sovereign, then he's trustworthy. The truth is that God is trustworthy even in this season. And so maybe you have been crippled by the fear of man. You have been compromising on truth by fearing man more than God. Listen, fear of of God and fear of man is like a teeter-totter. 
Only one end can be up in the air at a time. Anyone ever ridden on a teeter-totter before? I remember I used to do that as a kid, and uh, most of the time, when the bigger kid was on the other end, I'd crack my teeth on the way down. I loved going up to the top, but I hated coming down to the bottom. But the fear of God is like that in your life. If the fear of man is high, the fear of God is going to be low. And vice versa, if the fear of God is high, the fear of man will be low. One of the reasons that I love the Puritans so much, um, the English Puritans, especially John Owen and some of those guys, Thomas Goodwin and Richard Sibbs, is because they feared God a lot and they feared man very, very, very little. And we need more of that today. More fear of God and honor for God in our lives. So maybe you feared man more than God. Maybe you've just given in to some of the secular lies of a postmodern culture. Maybe you've given in to, you know, what you see on your news feed and think, yeah, you know, that actually does kind of sound reasonable. Huh, maybe the sky actually is purple all the time. Maybe I just see it wrong. Maybe two plus two doesn't really equal four. Obviously, I'm, I'm choosing extreme examples, but think about the lies that are out there that you're hearing over and over and over again. Maybe you've given in to some of those lies. Maybe today you're honestly just caving in to personal comfort. You know, I just want to be comfortable. I just want to fly under the radar. I just want an easy life. I just want heaven now and then heaven later too. That's dangerous because the Word of God says that we're going to suffer in this life as believers in Christ and that our reward does not come in this life. Okay, it's not your best life now. It's your best life in heaven for all of eternity after we have served Jesus Christ with all of our hearts here in this life. And so maybe today you're even just tempted, you know, to trust science or medicine more than you trust God. Maybe you're tempted to believe, no, God doesn't have my days numbered. No, he's not really sovereign. No, he's not really in control. So I'm just going to trust in these things. Brothers and sisters, come back. Take a quick look at your foundation. Why? Why is this so important? Why do I keep hitting on this point? It's so important. It's so applicable today. Because what you trust in, you will revere. And what you revere, you will fear. And whatever you fear, you will bow down to in worship. You worship what you fear. You worship what you honor. And so if you are most fearful about yourself and what will happen to yourself and your own life and protecting your own life, you are worshiping yourself. You've created an idol out of your own life. If you're more fearful of man than you are of God, you've created an idol out of man. So brothers and sisters, today, today is a great day to check the foundation, to come back to that place where we say, Lord, Lord, where am I turning away from you? Where am I fearing something else more than you? Where am I worshiping something else more than you? But here's the second thing that we need to see, brothers and sisters. Second thing right here. As Christians, we must allow ourselves to be changed by the force of truth. As Christians, we must allow ourselves to be changed by the force of truth. Listen, the truth comes with major implications and major responsibilities for our lives. What we believe has implications for the way that we live. The truth of Jesus Christ ultimately must control your actions and my actions. The truth of Christ changes the way that we act and the way that we live. And in this passage, Paul uh, gives five commands. He gives five imperatives for the Christian life. Five things that we must do. They require a, re a response. I want you to look down at the text. We're going to go through these together. 
But I want you to notice this one thing. Each of these actions requires that we turn away from something. But then each of these actions also requires that we do something. So we must put off and then we must put on. Put off the old that is a lie, that is false, that is not in keeping with the truth of Jesus Christ and put on the new. Put on the new. Resemble the new creation that God has made you to be. And so each of these um, are not just random, you know, thoughts by Paul, hey, good advice. These are commands. They're imperatives. And so the first imperative is right here at the beginning of the text. Um, it's to speak the truth to your neighbor. There's an onus on each one of us to speak the truth to our neighbor. We've already talked about that. You can dig into that more. The second uh, one is right here in verses 26 through 27. And, and here in verses 26 through 27, we are told to be angry and do not sin. To not let the, sin, the sun go down on our anger and to give no opportunity for the devil. That's an important verse. That's a verse that is worth underlining, highlighting, circling in your Bible right now. Be angry and do not sin. Listen, very quickly. You could dig into this a lot more. You should dig into this a lot more. Anger in itself isn't always evil. You're like, whoa, hold on a second. I thought it was a sin to be angry. Well, if it's always a sin to be angry, then God's a sinner. Because God is angry over sin. So it's not always a sin to be angry. There is righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Now, where it gets sticky and difficult is the fact that we are sinful human beings. So we may even become righteously angry about something, okay? God's glory is offended. Um, God is sinned against. His name is taken in vain. Um, somebody, somebody says something that is blasphemous and disgraceful against the Lord, that is not in keeping with his character or his glory. You are offended by that, rightfully angered by that because God's glory is offended. Then you take that seed of righteous anger and you turn it and you twist it and you pervert it. And all of a sudden you come up with a full-blown hatred towards this coworker that said that thing that you will never release, you will never forget, you will never ever forgive. Well, what's happened there? Your anger has gone from an originally righteous anger to an unrighteous anger. Now, that's a very, very simple explanation of anger. A great check for each of us is really the, the test that God gives to Jonah. So if you want to know how to test your anger to figure out whether it's righteous or not, uh, go take a look at the book of Jonah. And uh, God says to Jonah after uh, the people of Nineveh repented, remember, Jonah's bummed right out, okay? Um, people, a whole city of people got saved, and Jonah's bummed out. And God says, Jonah, why are you angry? Uh, because he said, I knew that if I preached, this would happen. And uh, then God causes this plant to grow up, and then God appoints the worm, and the plant dies, and Jonah's angry again. And uh, God says, Jonah, why are you angry? And what we see in that text is that Jonah's anger was actually a self-centered anger. It was primarily over his desires, his comforts. That's the test. Take the test. If you're angry because you've been offended personally because someone has hurt you, then chances are there's a good bit of sinful anger mixed in there, even if the original seed, the fact that they sinned against you, may have some righteous anger in it. But listen, listen, we are told here in this text to be angry and not to sin. 
This is actually a quotation taken from Psalm 4. And if you go back and you look at Psalm 4, it's a worthwhile study there in Psalm 4. David has a righteous reason to be angry. As the king of Israel, he has a right reason to be angry. People are lying about him, seeking to destroy the, the rule and the reign that God has given him. And David in Psalm 4 says, uh, be angry and do not sin. Instead, ponder on your bed. Think about it. Lay it out before the Lord. Here we're told to be angry and not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's essentially saying exactly the same thing as Psalm 4. But Paul adds this little phrase in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Listen, brothers and sisters, if we are people of the truth, if we are people that cling to the truth, we must learn to speak the truth in love as we heard a couple weeks ago. We must learn to do that. But we must also understand that anger in the church, sinful anger against one another, even if the original seed was maybe righteous, the twisting and the turning of it so that it becomes this this mess of seething anger under the surface, that that gives opportunity, it gives a foothold to the devil. It really gives literally an opportunity for the devil to come right in and just ravage and destroy the church of God, to destroy relationships, to just take a machine gun and just cut down every single person in the place. That is, figuratively speaking, what we give the devil opportunity to do whenever we give place to anger. So maybe right now you need to do a quick check in your heart to see if there's anyone that you're angry with. You say, well, yeah, there is, but it's a righteous anger. It's all righteous. It's been there for two or three years. I haven't let it go. Um, and it's, it's just, I, I could never forgive this person. Okay, well, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that's completely unrighteous anger, even if the original seed was maybe righteous. Maybe that person did sin against you. The fact that you're hanging on to it that way, you need to repent of that. You need to confess that to the Lord. You need to get it before him. He said, no, there's nobody that I'm angry with. I just really don't like this person. And whenever they walk my direction, I walk the other way. I'm not angry, though, but underneath the surface, there's just these feelings of a general disgust, a general contempt, a general resentment and a bitterness, but I'm not angry. I'm not angry. No, because it's wrong to be angry. (laughs) Well, let's keep reading in the text because it points out all of those things. That's anger. That's anger. You just, you know, so often I think of anger like a, a pot of water on the stove, You know, a pot of water that's sitting on your stove that's kind of just at a low simmer, it's not going to take much more heat for that to boil over, is it? And so if you are close to the boiling point, you need to ask the question, why is the heat up so much in the first place? Why am I so angry under the surface in the first place? And and the reality there is, is because you've got some things that you need to bring before the Lord. I've been checking my heart on these things and realizing, hey, there's many here for me as well. And honestly, I just want to say this about this point right here about be angry and do not sin. I think this is a big one for us, church. I think it's a big one. I think it's one where the enemy has been at work among us because there's been things that have not been dealt with among us. We're going to come back to that right at the very, very end of the message in a few minutes. But just hang on to that thought right now. But listen, there's uh, three more things here. We're going to go through these quite quickly now. Uh, Number three, number three, we uh, we are told by the Apostle Paul that we are not to steal. 
but we are to work hard and be generous. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing an honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Listen, if you are in a place right now where you are stealing, cheating, swindling, bamboozling, little dishonesty over here, a little dishonesty even on my taxes, a little dishonesty, well, the government's dishonest, so I can get away with that too. Um, You need to stop. You need to stop. Why? Why do you need to stop? Because it's not in keeping with the truth to be a thief. Jesus redeemed you for so much more than that. It doesn't bring glory and honor to him. The fourth one, no corrupting talk should come out of our mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as good for building up as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. So the negative portion here, the part that we need to put off is the corrupting talk. Well, what is corrupting talk? Corrupting talk is really talk that infects and leads to decay. It's like the spread of gangrene. It just decays anything that it comes in contact with. We need to put off corrupting talks, say no, but instead speak in a way that is fitting to the occasion. If we don't know what to say, we should ask the Lord, Lord, what should I say in this circumstance? I don't know about you, but I find that it's so easy right now to give in to corrupting talk, isn't it? And it's so hard to speak in a way that fits the occasion. Lord, give me grace in my life. Help me, Lord, so that it may give grace to those who hear Number five, number five is the one that really ties all of these together. Number five says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, what is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? What is it that ultimately makes the Holy Spirit grieved in your life? It's when God's people, when we don't, eat, when we don't think, when we don't act, in a way that corresponds with the truth, specifically when we live our lives in a way that is not loving towards our brother and sister, when we cling to anger, when we cling to bitterness, when we cling to resentment. The Holy Spirit of God is grieved in our lives. Why? Because all of those things are the exact opposite of what Jesus Christ redeemed you for. He redeemed you to be free from that because the truth sets you free. He redeemed you to live in a way that is fitting with the truth of God in Christ for his glory. So when we are filled with bitterness, resentment, anger, malice, hatred, animosity, this grieves the Holy Spirit of God and it destroys the work of the Spirit among us. It tears apart the body and the bride of Christ. Okay, so let's get real for a minute here. Let's think about how this practically applies to the different areas of our lives. Let's just take a second and just reflect on a few of these things. So let's say, let's just go back in the message a little bit. Let's say that initially you did the foundation check. You, You took a look and you're like, yeah, it looks pretty good. Okay, some of the parging's flaking, but I don't think there's any major issues. All right, you took a look and things look okay on the outside. But now you're starting to take a closer look and you're starting to say, whoa, hold on, there's some issues here. (laughs) I thought I was doing well in keeping with the truth, but I'm realizing that this anger in my life, that's an issue. I've been wanting to deal with that one. I've been wanting to, you know, bring that to the light. I haven't wanted to repent of that one. After all, I do have a good reason to be angry and to hate this person. 
brother, sister. We need to turn from that today. If that's where we find ourselves today, we need to turn away from it. Listen, there's no excuse for continuing in hatred, anger, animosity towards your brother and sister in Jesus Christ. There's no excuse for it. Brett, how can you say that? That's not your call. No, you're right, it's not my call. It's the Lord's call. Take a look down at verse 32. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Anger, bitterness, resentment, animosity is not in keeping with the truth of who God is or who Jesus Christ is, but it's also not in keeping with the truth of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ where he laid down his life on the cross for you and for me and he chose to purchase your forgiveness on that cross so that you could then walk in forgiveness towards other people, so that you could then go from having a heart of stone towards your brother to having a a soft heart, a heart of flesh that chooses to forgive and chooses to show mercy even where love and mercy maybe isn't due. Listen, this is what the Lord is saying us today. He's calling us right here in verse 32, be kind to one another. No caveat on that. Be kind to one another unless, you know, your brother or your sister really did something, you know, 12 years ago that, that upset you. No, it doesn't say that. It says be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you and forgave me. Listen, here's the third thing that we need to end on today. As Christians, we must understand that we either adorn or deny the truth by the way that we act towards one another. As Christians, we either make much and magnify the truth or we deny it. We pretend like it doesn't even exist by the way that we act towards one another, by the way that we treat one another, by the way that we forgive one another. So what are you doing in your life right now? Are you adorning the truth or are you denying the truth? That's a hard question. Listen, there is a battle for truth in our society, in our world today, but listen, brothers and sisters, the battle for truth starts right here in your heart first and foremost. That's where it starts. If stuff's not right here, The foundation is broken. We can look out at the world and we know the foundation is broken out there, but what about the foundation in your life, in your heart? If that's not right, then you can't hope to have an impact for the truth out there. I want you just to notice one thing in this verse. Right in this verse here, in verse 32, there are three one another commands. Three one another commands. You know, the one another commands of Scripture are what we ought to do together in community with one another. Notice what it says. It says right here that we are to be kind, that we are to be loving, we are to be gracious, we are to be benevolent towards one another, that we are to be tender-hearted, we are to be easily moved towards love and compassion towards our brothers and sisters. We're, we're to be quick to forgive. That means slow to anger, quick to forgive, willing to forgive willing to show mercy even if we don't feel mercy is due to that person. Why? Because God in Christ has shown mercy to us when we didn't deserve it. I want you just to think about this for a minute. Just think about 
And consider, consider the, the blasphemy of this thought. I know that's a strong word, but I think that's what it is. Consider the blasphemy of this thought. I know God has forgiven me, but I could never, I could never forgive them. Just consider how blasphemous that is. Think of all the sin, your sin, that Jesus Christ took when he was on the cross, that he bore. Yes, he bore the sins of the world. Yes, that's true. But your sin, think about all of your sin, your habitual sin, your continual sin, the sins of your past, the sins of your future. Think about everything that he bore. How can you look on that sacrifice and say, even for a moment, yeah, I'll take that, but I won't extend that same forgiveness to my brother or sister. That's blasphemy. We need to repent of that. So this morning, if you find yourself in the place where you're being convicted by God's word, by the truths that are here in this passage, that's a good thing because that's actually God's grace to you in your life so that you can turn away from the lies that are killing you and you can receive the grace of life that Jesus Christ offers to you, the grace of restored relationships, the grace of clinging to the truth with such joy, with such fullness by exalting Christ. And so what do you do? What do you do if you find yourself in the place today where you're like, man, I felt like I, fa- I passed the first part of the foundation check, but on the second part, I got some stuff that's really a mess. What do you do? Well, first, you need to get it right with the Lord today. The book of Hebrews says this line over and over again in the first three chapters, chapters three and chapters four. It says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. Our tendency is to harden our heart. God speaks to our heart. I don't like that message. I'm gonna write the pastor and ask the email and tell him all the places where he was wrong, send and then I'll feel better. That's called hardening your heart. I don't like that message, so I'm just gonna go escape to this. That's called hardening your heart. Don't harden your heart if you hear his voice as they did in the rebellion. But instead, come to the Lord. Confess your sin. Take it before him. Pour it out. Even if you can't fully form it into words at that moment, trust the Holy Spirit to work in your life as you confess before him, to point to the deep-seated issues, to those deep cracks in the foundation, and trust that he will restore, that he will rebuild. So get it before the Lord. That's the first thing. Second thing, second thing, You need to forgive that person. You need to forgive that person in your own heart. Trust that as you repent before the Lord, as you confess before the Lord, the Lord will begin to build grace and mercy and forgiveness towards that person. And if you don't find that's happening, you need to pray for it. You need to say, God, help me. Help me forgive what I feel is unforgivable. Show me how much you've forgiven me. Help me, Lord. And then third... After that work is is done to a significant extent in your life, when you come before the Lord and you say, hey, I've confessed it before the Lord, I've repented of it, I've turned from it, I've extended forgiveness in my own heart towards this person, then you need to go to that person. You need to go to them. You need to go to them and you need to seek to make it right by apologizing and by seeking their forgiveness and asking for a restored relationship. I told you at the beginning of the message, there were some 
uncomfortable responsibilities that are ours in the truth. Yes, these things are uncomfortable, but they lead to blessing. They lead to the joy of Jesus Christ moving in your life. They lead to fullness. And ultimately, these are the steps because we have turned away from falsehood when we chose to come to Jesus Christ, because we have chosen to turn away from that. These are the steps that begin to lead to glory. So brothers and sisters, if there's anything that you need to get right today, get it right with the Lord. But remember, remember the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. Remember how much Jesus Christ, how much the Father has forgiven you and forgiven me. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you today, Lord. And God, I confess that there's cracks in my foundation, Lord. That I've given in to subtle lies of of the culture around me. That I've given in at times to just the desire to be comfortable, to have an easy life. But God, I admit that there's been hardness in my heart even, Lord, towards a brother. And God, I need you to purge that from me. I need you to cleanse me, Lord. I need you to move and work in me, Lord. And I know that there are many others that are even tuned in right now, Lord, that 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 same hardness has been there. And so, Lord, collectively, we take the first step even today to come before you, to confess that to you. Not that this would be the only step in that process. Each one must do it individually, Lord. But together, Lord, we say that we want to be done with the anger. We want to be done with the frustration. We want to be done with all of the behaviors that that are not in keeping with the truth of Jesus Christ. We want to be done with that so that we can have a new day, a day filled with the strength, the mercy, the goodness of the Lord. Lord, we call on you. We call on you to do that in our hearts today, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would do that through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray right now for the person who's been even listening and turning a deaf ear to what's been said, that you would even bring conviction in their life today. Lord, I pray for the person right now that is overwhelmed with the weight of guilt and shame. Would they experience the mercy and goodness of Jesus in this moment? to know that everything, everything can be forgiven. And Lord, would you lead them into your presence, Lord, to pour out their heart before you to experience that grace that you have given for them. Lord, lead us, heal us, restore us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.